Good to be with everybody today. Good to be together. I've got my USA shirt on again this week because it's Team USA in the Olympics. USA, USA. <laughs> yeah, they've been doing pretty well. I've been uh, tuning in. Uh, the swimming has been amazing. Uh, both the men's and women's swim teams have done really well. Um, we're going to be, I think, competitive in track. There's some sports I was just sharing with somebody uh, this morning. There's some sports I didn't really know were sports, at least in the Olympics. Surfing. So our women's surfer got a gold medal. And, uh, and of course, the ever-popular air rifle competition. Like, who knew that was a thing? Um, and then, you know, even if you're not into the Olympics, I'm sure you're hearing about women's gymnastics and uh, particularly what's been going on with that young phenom, uh, Simone Bile. And uh, so we're not quite sure what's, what's going on with her. When she went to the Olympics, the question wasn't, will she win a medal? It was, how many medals is she going to win? And she has been withdrawing from various uh, competitions throughout the Olympics. And uh, the only explanation we're hearing is that she's saying that her body and her mind are out of sync with each other. There's two things that that brings to my mind as I've been watching that play out. One is the amazing, extraordinary grace that this young woman has been showing. Um, I can only imagine her sense of disappointment and so forth by not being able to compete and meet all of those expectations that she had of herself and others had of her. But she's carrying herself with such grace. She shows up to every competition cheering on her teammates. And, um, you know, I, I just think that that's a amazing thing that she's doing. The other thing that stands out to me is just the reality of human frailty. You know, we look sometimes at these young athletes and we forget that they're normal human being. We want our heroes to be flawless, to be winners. And when they aren't, we feel disappointed. And sometimes our behaviors toward them, our words toward them, express a deep disappointment. I may be in the minority on this, but I really appreciate this generation of Olympic athletes and the number of them who are both honest and transparent about the struggles that they go through as athletes at this level. Michael Phelps, who is the Olympian's Olympian. You know, he has more medals than any other Olympian in history, 23 medals. And he has been sharing over the last several years his own struggles with anxiety and depression. And when asked about Simone Biles, he said, we're human, we're human. We're starting a new series, as Pastor Rick shared, the Gospel According to David. And I want to start by giving you what today's takeaway is for this message. 
The thing that if you forget everything else, the thing that I hope you'll remember. And here's the way I would describe it. Every idol, no matter how strong or noble it may seem, will eventually fail you. Every idol, no matter how strong or noble it may seem, will eventually fail you. King David is a towering figure in history, not just Jewish history or Jewish Christian history, but in all of history. What David accomplished and the ways that he accomplished it are profound and, as we go through this series, I believe inspiring. The hardest part, frankly, of putting the series together for us was deciding what stories we would include and what stories we would have to leave out. We could have made this series twice as long as it is with all of the things that we could point out from David's storied life. He did so much good. In fact, that's why we're calling it the gospel, according to David. The word gospel in the Greek is the word good news. And there is a lot of good to talk about when we talk about David. He was a gifted shepherd. He was a courageous warrior. He was a wise kingdom builder. He was a soulful artist. And he was one of the greatest leaders in all history. There is so much about David and we're going to be focusing on all of these good things and takeaways, lessons that we can learn from his life and incorporate into our own lives. But, but there is a danger in turning David into a mythic figure. Somebody not human an idol. This very thing came up when we were planning this series and talking about all of these good things that David had done and all the things we could talk about. And somebody, I don't remember who in the group, said, yeah, David is great, but he ain't no Jesus. All right? David is good, but he ain't no Jesus. One of the things that I have always loved about the Bible is the raw honesty that the Bible um, employs in describing even the heroes within Scripture. We get to see not just their great accomplishments, but their warts as well. And this doesn't diminish their story or the scriptures in any way. In fact, for me, it makes it all the more reliable that these are human beings that God used in special ways, but they never stopped being human. And their flaws are put into the pages of scripture. So we're beginning this series, the good news, the gospel, according to David, by talking about his greatest flaw, his greatest failure, because David 
ain't no Jesus. Right? It is Jesus, not David, who is the one who is our Savior. It is Jesus, not David, who is the forgiver of our sin. So we want to start by just showing David's, some of David's warts. There are other places, but this is, this is David's single greatest failure in his lifetime. The account is from 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. It's two chapters long. And so as we begin, let's look at chapter 11, verse 1. It says this, In the spring, when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. But David remained in Jerusalem. So there's a question there. Why did David stay at home? When kings go off to war in, this, in that season of the year, defending their territory, defending their nation, why did David, this great warrior king, this great leader, why did he stay at home? So here's another question. What is the hardest form of leadership? What is the hardest form of leadership? The hardest form of leadership is self-leadership. As difficult as it, is, as it might be to lead an organization, to lead a company, to lead a country, a military operation, a church, as hard as it is to lead others, self-leadership is the hardest form of leadership. To keep oneself moving in the right direction, on the right track, day in and day out, month after month, year after year, for decades, is the most challenging kind of leadership there is. So David, at this point in his life that we are at, where it's being described now, has been in leadership for a long time. We don't know exactly what's going on with him, but you could conjecture that having been in leadership for a long time, maybe David is a little bit bored, or maybe he's tired, or distracted, or maybe he's just feeling entitled. You know, I've done this for years. Let somebody else do it. I'm going to send them. I've got this power, this authority. I'm entitled and sends them off. So here's the thing. Whenever a leader starts feeling tired or bored or distracted or entitled, those are warning flags for you to kind of step back and tend to your own life because when a leader is operating out of those areas, boredom, entitlement, and so forth, he or she can do great damage to those that they're leading. And that's what happened here. Verse 2. David got up from his bed and walked out 
onto the roof of the palace. From there, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. So David sees this woman, and he is now curious. And so he asks one of his servants, who is she? And word comes back to David that she is Bathsheba, the wife of a good friend of David's, Uriah, who is off at war. David's next decision gives us an idea of his mindset. He sends for Bathsheba. And what happens next is the rape of Bathsheba. She is brought before the king. She is powerless in his presence. If she were to resist him, and maybe she did, he could exile her from the kingdom. He could destroy her life and the life of her family. He could have her executed. The nature of rape is one overpowering another for sex. It's important for us to recognize that in this moment, this was not an affair of two consenting adults. This was not an indiscretion. This was something far more cruel and violent than that. So that was David's crime. Next comes the cover-up. Bathsheba gets back to David and lets David know that she's pregnant. David panics. He comes up with a plan. He calls Uriah out from the battlefield to come and report to him how things are going. So Uriah comes back to give the king a report of how the battles are going. That is not what David is interested in at all. He gets this report. I'm sure he feigns being interested and then says, hey, that's great. Tell you what, why don't you go spend the night with your wife? You know what I'm saying? You know, just go have a good time, relax. And Uriah, being a man of deep integrity, says, I can't do that. Not when my brothers in arms are fighting in a war. I can't go and be with my wife. And David's now, he's, you know, scrambling, and so he tries to get Uriah drunk in an attempt to get the two of them together, Bathsheba and Uriah, and it doesn't work. So now, in full-on panic, David writes a letter to his commander, Joab, and he instructs Joab to put Uriah at the front of the lines to go and attack the enemy, and when they have engaged the enemy, for everyone to withdraw and to leave Uriah at the front. He folds up the letter, hands it to Uriah, and sends him back to the battlefield, carrying with him his death certificate. 
When Uriah is killed, David takes Bathsheba to be his wife. And I'm sure the people in Jerusalem saw that and thought, what a great and noble king that he would care for the wife of his friend in that way. All of this devastation began when David put his trust in an idol. And in this case, the idol was himself. He was more interested in his own comfort, his own desires, his own power than he was in following the Lord. And an idol will eventually fail you. David, the greatest warrior king, and the man after God's own heart, failed at self-leadership in this moment. He allowed himself to drift from worship of God to worship of self. In that way, friends, David is no different than me or you. There are idols in our lives everywhere. Money, power, sex, prestige, knowledge, sports, nationalism, anything that distracts us from God, anything that we will put before our worship of God is an idol. In this, back to the story in 2 Samuel, the 12th chapter, David's sin is exposed in a public and humili humili yeah, humiliating way by a prophet named Nathan. And if you've never read the story, I'd encourage you to go and read 2 Samuel verse 12 to see just how Nathan calls the king, David, out. And his words were withering. Here's just one little snippet from verse 8 of the 12th chapter. As this prophet is uh, speaking on behalf of God to David. I gave you all of Israel and Judah, and if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord doing what is evil in his eyes? You had it all, David. You had it all. Why would you act this way? Why would you despise my word? Jesus asked a similar question when he posed it this way from Mark's gospel. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What good is it 
if you achieve great things, but in doing so, have given yourself over to an idol? This question of Jesus is the ultimate self-leadership question. Has the success that you're pursuing become an idol? Are you compromising your faith or your integrity in pursuit of an idol? Again, whatever that idol might be for you. Well, the consequence to David's crimes were significant and carried with him the rest of his life. He always carried that disgrace, that shame, that scar with him. But here's the grace part. God forgave David. And God allowed David to stay in the game. And David went on to accomplish more great things for Israel, even while carrying those scars with him. Every idol, no matter how strong or noble it may appear, will eventually fail you. But the grace is that God in Christ Jesus never will. God will never fail you. His way is right. His truth is perfect. His life eternal. So we're about to receive communion. But before we do, I want to give you a moment to identify what is the idol or the idols in your life. What is that thing that tempts you away from the ways of God and causes you to compromise your faith or your integrity? Because until you can name them, they will always be a stumbling block for you. By calling out your idol by name begins to give you some power over it. Maybe it's greed or lust or control or revenge or power, whatever that idol is for you, that thing that, like I said, causes you to stumble, to name that out. So we're going to spend a couple of moments in a time of confession. I'm going to give us a little silent time where you can name your idol before God. We all have them. Ask God's strength and forgiveness. And then together we'll pray a prayer of confession before communion. So let's just take a few moments.
And now let's join together as we pray this prayer of confession. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart or our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and humbly repent. Forgive us, we pray. Teach us to delight in your will and walk in your ways through your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And so Jesus, the perfect one, who knew no sin but became sin for us, wanted us to remember always the cost of our salvation in a tangible way. And so he took bread that was before them and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat for this is my body which is broken for you. As oft as you shall do this, do so in remembrance of me. And so in your communion kit, if you have it, or if you're online, whatever you may have, would invite you to take the bread as a symbol of Christ's broken body for you, for your forgiveness. Take and eat. And likewise, after they had eaten the bread, Jesus took the cup and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is the blood of the new covenant which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As oft as you shall drink of this cup, do so in remembrance of me. The blood of Christ shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. Take and drink. Please stand.
Lord, you know our temptations. You know our, how easily we move toward idols, whether they are idols within us or idols around us. Lord, give us the wisdom, the strength, the courage, the fortitude to be led from within by your Holy Spirit, to practice a self-leadership that keeps us moving in your right direction, not only for our own sake, but for the sake of those who we serve, those who we love. Lord, I'm grateful for the examples of men and women throughout Scripture who, just like us, were human beings, flawed, tempted, falling, and yet you picked them up, you offered them grace, forgiveness, new beginnings and allowed them to stay in the game. And Lord, just as you've done it for them, we know you do it for us. And so we give you thanks and praise. We keep our eyes on you and ask that you would lead us as we go into this new day and into this new week. We pray these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people agreed and said, Amen. Amen. Hey, friends, have a great day.